I'm Jody Nisnik, and you're listening to So Much More. In John 16, 12, Jesus stated, there is so much more I want to tell you. He then pointed to the spirit as the one who would come, who would further his teaching by bringing his word to life for us. So much more creates space for God to reveal his truth through his word. Today, I am excited to have Nicole Eunice with me as we have a conversation around John 5 and what the Lord is teaching her. Nicole is a Bible teacher, an author, a leadership coach, and a podcast host, and her training as a counselor informs her deep passion for bringing God's word to life in a personal and relevant way. Her latest book, The Miracle Moment, How Tough Conversations Can Actually Transform Your Most Important Relationship, gives you practical tools that you can use to bring miracle moments into all of your relationships. So uh, welcome, Nicole. I'm so excited that you are here today. Thank you, Jody. I'm so excited to be with you and excited to just be with our listeners. I'm actually outdoors. So if you hear a little outdoor noise, know that I'm getting a slice of sunshine here in the South after many snowstorms. And I just like to picture all of us together um, having a moment, having some coffee perhaps, and um, getting to talk about important things in our soul and our spirit. I love it. Well, I'm a little jealous. I'm sitting inside my home. It's not very sunny here. It's kind of gray. It looks like it's going to snow, but it's Texas, so it's not going to snow. It just looks that way. <laughs> it it look it usually looks like it's going to snow here in uh Rich, um, actually in Williamsburg, Virginia. Um and it rarely does, but then it did. And now it keeps snowing every <laughs> single weekend and we don't we're not prepared, much nope. like you Texans. We're nope. not really prepared. So We are not prepared uh, for do, that. We do the best and you know, it's a little warmer today, so I'm getting uh, all the, I'm taking some soul care, which means sitting outdoors while we talk about Jesus together. That is truly one of the highlights of my life. So I love it. Well, and I'm just thinking to myself, all my friends and listeners in Michigan and Minnesota are just rolling their eyes at us. And they're like, seriously, get over yourselves right now. (laughs) Well, hey, now I preach in Michigan. I go every quarter. I'm on staff at a church in Livonia, Michigan, Ward Church. Love them. So I go this weekend. So I am preparing myself. In fact, the puffy jacket that I have on right now, it was a purchase two hours before I got on a flight to Michigan last year. So yes, I am prepared for the cold as well. Very smart. Well, um, hey, before we dive in and talk about John 5, I want to give us a quick reminder of the passage. So I want to read it for us. We did this as an imaginative prayer, asking the Lord to really draw us into the scene, help us imagine it, and then have a conversation with the Lord. So this is, again, the reading, and it's from John 5, verses 1 through 9. Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? 
Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. Okay, that's such a great and powerful passage. And I would just love to know, Nicole, what did the Lord kind of help you imagine as you entered into this scene the first time? Mm, Well, um, you know, I really do love to try to picture, and it's not, for me, it's less about picturing that exact time and um, geography, although that's helpful. I try to picture the feeling of the people. Um, and so we know it's a festival time, so it's a crowded time. We know that this is a place where people who were invalid or disabled would come. And so in my mind, I picture some of the places in my own city where um, people who are homeless, people who are, mm-hmm. let's say, the margins of society gather. And I try to picture what that feels like. And one of the things that I think about is there's a particular man who, on when I run or walk near my neighborhood, he's always on one street corner. And it's really interesting to me how, um, how unlikely it is for anyone to make eye contact with that person or for that person to make eye contact with anyone else. And it just, I have that feeling when you just feel invisible, mm. like when you're around people, but you feel unimportant, unseen, um, small, or even really unwanted or rejected. Mm. And so that's like the feeling I have in my heart is when I picture myself as one of those people. Um, just how used you would be so used to people of any status or power or whatever, not even making eye contact, literally hoping and wishing right. that they don't even notice that you're there mm-hmm. and what that would do over the years um, to feel that way. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's so good. I, you know, I'm thinking about this man. We don't know how long he's been laying by the pool, but we do mm-hmm. know he's been an invalid for 38 years. So mm-hmm. whether he was born that way or not, we also don't get that detail in this passage, but um, I, I'm with you in, in feeling that um, like just this deep loneliness and sadness as you're describing that. And what does it feel like to be constantly overlooked? And mm-hmm. um, yeah, so thanks for painting that scene for us. So let's take another step in. Um, where did the Lord take you next? I think for me, like the scene sort of fast forwards to noticing Jesus. I, I think at this scene, at this stage in the game, so to speak, in Jesus's ministry, um, we know that word about Jesus spread fast when he began healing people. And I imagine that he would he would make a scene. It just sounds like we know from other places in the gospels where it says that people pressed in on him so much that they couldn't sleep, they couldn't eat. Um, you know, they were always like having to like get out mm-hmm. of places that they were in. So I'm imagining if I was him and I had been disabled for that long, yet I'm still somewhere. This is the thing to me that really gets me that I, I just, I'm so captivated by this passage because I still came to that pool, which means right. somewhere there's still hope like in the midst of it, whether it's because I had a relative who drops me off there or whatever, whether it's because I've made friends in the mm-hmm. sense of 
sometimes, you know, a group of people, even if you're a group of outcasts, mm-hmm. there's, there's life in being in relationship with people, whether it's because it's the least of all evils, at least I have somewhere to lay or whatever. Um, there's a reason that I've decided to be among these people and then to have Jesus make this stir, but yet how unexpected it would be of all the people that Jesus would have had to step around or over to be the one noticed, I would think would be so surprising. That's the feeling I have would be like, why me? Like, why are you even looking at me? Like, it just wouldn't even so cynical because that's just my nature, my, my, my heart. When I feel disappointed, when I feel unseen, I go to cynicism. I go to sarcasm and cynicism. Like this is a jaded world and I'm a jaded person in it. And I got to just defend myself because nobody's going to look out for me. So my spirit toward Jesus noticing me would be like almost like suspicion at first or, or not even really belie- belief at all that I would be the one who would be noticed. Yeah. It's very self-protective of us. And we all have different ways of kind of putting the armor on to protect. And mm-hmm. yeah, when you start to read it that way, you can almost hear that. Like I can hear it through your voice, that sarcasm and cynicism mm-hmm. of his reply sir, I have no one to help me get into this pool. It's almost like, like seriously, right. look around, <laughs> you know? Right. Exactly. Like the, 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 the answer was already <laughs> prepared. Like what I would feel was, are you kidding me right. with asking me the question why I haven't gotten in the pool? I am the least of the least of these. Some of these people have people to help them. Some of these people have a better life. Maybe they can get themselves in the pool, but me, poor me, I got the worst hand of cards of all the cards because I can't even get myself in the pool and just like what that would feel like to be so hopeless yet be there mm-hmm. so jaded but still maybe a flicker of belief in something because the guy was is even there at that at that spot or someone else is believing for him and how I, that to me maybe in my own personality of course we this is God allows us to to view and have a perspective through our own personality, my own personality would be that anger first that would be covering sadness, sadness and and pain for how hard that life Mm. would be and how Mm. difficult it would be. I mean, Jody, I I have a hard time maintaining hope if it's been like a month, (laughs) not not a year or a decade or 38 years. And so my heart is so connected to the story and to Jesus engaging with this question of hope and faith. And when I think about Jesus and the way that he seems to interact with people, there's a part of me that believes that he is, uh, that he welcomes honest answers. And that felt like a real honest answer. Like this guy Mm -hmm. is not going to answer him any way that he thinks he needs to answer him. He's not like the rich young ruler who's like, teacher, what do I need to do to have eternal life? He's like, what are you talking about, man? Of course I haven't gotten in the pool. <laughs> you know, like, right. there's just a part of that that I love because I think God invites mm. our really honest conversation with him. I love some of your speculations about just the man's hurt and his anger. And it's just been piling up for years and years and years. And the truth mm-hmm. is Jesus does want our honest response. That's, I mean, mm-hmm. so, so good. Um, because he already knows the honest response, right? So if we're going right. to do the, you know, fancy, oh, I'm good. I, you know, or whatever we think he wants to hear. He's like, come on, Nicole, 
Mm-hmm. No, tell me what's mm-hmm. really in your heart. Tell me what's really going on. Let's get peel back the layers. Let's really get to the substance because that's where healing is found. Um, and that's mm. what he's wanting to offer this man and all of us. So, um, okay. So I'm curious now you enter in, I mean, you've kind of already gone there imagining that you're this kind of invalid man did, and it sounds like you're able to actually go ahead and, and sit in that seat and imagine from his perspective. Is that true? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, I, yes, <laughs> I've done this. I've done this practice before. And I would say for anyone listening who this is new for them, a couple of things, like if you enter in and you're like, oh gosh, I, that's not how I see it at all. And I would be, I would be hopeful or I would be sad or I'd be whatever. That is that's the right. exercise. So it's not, I'm not bringing any like certain, this isn't from a teaching perspective that we're having this conversation. This is from an imagination perspective. So really the way that we might engage with the story would be as different as everyone in the circle. So this isn't about, is that right or wrong? It's, it's, there's a lot of different ways to see it. Right. And we do see it Mm -hmm. through our own lens. And that's what, when you say that the scripture is alive and active, that's what's beautiful about it is God meets us through that lens in different seasons and different circumstances. Right. So yeah, I've done this before and I've, I've done this practice before and even with this passage before. So for those who are new, you might be like, oh, I don't even know how to get to that scene. But you, as you just let it unfold, you can pretend that you're also a person watching the that's interaction. Because right. sometimes that's even easier for us to do is like, what if I was like this man's friend? Or what if I was someone who's just been hanging out next to him all day? Or what, mm-hmm. you know, what if I was a disciple and I was just watching Jesus interact? And that can be like another, another way to engage um, but for me, I have, I have felt so stuck in life in different seasons, um, perhaps not in a way that others might see on the outside. I haven't had um, stuck seasons that are like pu- so, so public, but I felt so stuck mm-hmm. in seasons in life that engaging with this idea that Jesus would really challenge me, because I do believe that what he gives the man is a challenge. Um, you, we all know that Jesus can heal any which way he wants to. So he could have laid down next to the guy and put his arm around him. He could have healed him without saying anything. There's all kinds of ways he could have been healed. He could have put him in the pool, he could whatever, but no, he says like, no, you get up, you get up and Mm -hmm. walk, like pick up your mat. It's time. And so the challenge of being invited to participate in a miracle, being invited to participate in what God's doing as opposed to like, well, I'm just going to lay here sad and victimized and stuck and God, you better do something around me rather than seeing that there is an act of Mm -hmm. faith that God invites us into relationship with him, even in healing. Like, and it reminds me a little bit, Jody. I tore, I uh, tore my ACL earlier about 10 months ago and I've been in physical therapy ever since. And I think about the role of this physical therapist with me, like they have things that only they can do, but I have to participate Mm. in the healing. Like it's, it's, you can't, I I can't just like lay down, like lay there and be like, move my knee around. Like there's actual work that is part of it. There's a tension between the therapist and the participant where the full healing is not possible without participation. Mm -hmm. And when I think about Jesus looking at this man and saying, do you want to participate in a new life? Then, you know, that's kind of 
that's why I resonate mm. so deeply is because of the man, many seasons where I feel like Jesus has said, do you want to participate in a new life or do you want to just stay in the, your oh, old life? So good. Are you comfortable with your cynicism or are you, comf- are you willing to be uncomfortable and mm-hmm. to be changed? Yes. So, oh, so good. Okay. So when you then have this conversation with the Lord, Tell mm-hmm. me, tell me about that. What did you guys talk about? Yeah. Um, when I, when I have this conversation with the Lord right now, you know, as, as opposed to different seasons, um, I think that the place where the story sort of pauses or freezes, or I, I spend time meditating is in the moment where I do stand up mm-hmm. and what went, what, what was like, a you know, Jesus obviously would be, even if Jesus knelt down, he would probably still was looking down at the man while they're having this conversation about getting up. And, and then he actually stands up and now he's eye to eye, face to face with Jesus. And I think of the season of life that I'm in right now as that space where it's like, okay, you're standing up. Like I'm face to face with you. Like we're eye to eye, like you're starting to participate. Now, can we, can we walk? together? You know, can we walk into this new season? Mm -hmm. And maybe all of us have places in our life or relationships or circumstances where we're in a variety of places in the story. We go from the person just laid down, like flat out, hurt, wounded, broken, whatever, to the person who's like questioning, you know, places in my life where I'm still questioning God. And then to places where I am standing, we are face to face and I'm being invited to walk it out. And so for me right now, it's that season of walking it out. So being with the Lord, wanting to spend time with the Lord. Um, I go through seasons where I, that is easy and where it's not. And wanting to spend time with the Lord and then say, yes, I want to be a faithful follower today. <laughs> mm-hmm. I want to stand up again. I want to stand up into healing today. And I want to walk in it today. Um, and I know that you're going to sustain me today. So mm-hmm. that's kind of mm-hmm. when I think about where I am in this passage, that's like the space that I am. And, you know, we're not going to get into the next passage where Jesus is like, now quit sinning, but (laughs) there's a part of that, there's a part of that ongoing challenge, the ongoing relationship that is discipleship that, that we're invited to with Jesus that I feel like I'm in right now. Yeah. And I think that's a really important point to bring up because the event of him being healed doesn't mean his life is perfect from that point on. I mean, he has to to walk. (laughs) He's got to learn how to integrate himself back into society. He's got to figure out all kinds of new ways of living and even new relationships with people. Mm -hmm. And how do you live as a well person? How do you live healed? Mm -hmm. And that I'm sure there were many days where he was like, oh, but if I, you know, just like the Egyptians, I mean, just like the Israelites, when they were rescued out of slavery from Mm -hmm. Egypt, they're like, Oh, but back there we had food to eat. Can we just go back? And like, I think that that happens to us. We get released from something. Jesus says, walk, follow me. And we're like, oh, but this is really scary because I don't actually know how to walk this road. I know how to walk the road. Mm -hmm. I just got off of because I walked it. I don't know how to do this new one. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, gosh, yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. You know, it kind of makes me think a lot about the book that you just finished, (laughs) uh, the miracle moment, because I feel like this is a miracle, right? And he had to be willing to receive the miracle. And the whole first part of your book, you talk about setting ourselves up to Mm -hmm. receive 
this miracle that God wants, which is healing in our relationships with other people. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about kind of, how do you prepare your heart to receive that miracle? Yeah. Well, let's just, let's just talk about two, two things so we can have kind of like two hooks for the day for sure. There's a lot more in there, but the, the two to me that kind of really dovetail with this passage are, um, these ideas that we have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. So Mm. This this idea, this concept is what is it like for me to be more curious about myself and less condemning? So we can enter into a story like this one in John chapter five, and we're not the man. So we're not having like defensive reactions while it's happening. And we can imagine the things that we want to imagine about what that would be like. And I think the invitation to truly flourishing in our relationships and flourishing in freedom is to begin to get curious about the way that we react, about um, what, what sets us off about what shuts us down about why we're irritated, frustrated, disappointed with different people in our life. Because when we begin to get curious, we go to the deeper places of our real longings, our real needs, and we can begin to move toward those things and maybe let go of things that don't serve going that direction. And then the second one is exactly what you just talked about, Jody. And that this the second like law of miracles is chaos before order. Mm. And the idea there is like, man, there is a lot of undoing that happens in seasons of our spiritual journey. And as God begins to open us up to new ways that he wants to engage with us and we go deeper into those places, God is good to us. He does not he doesn't like throw all of our sanctification on us all at one time. And sanctification is, is, you know, the process of becoming like Christ. So we should expect that there are seasons where like, Oh my gosh, I'm being confronted with how much anxiety I really have, or gosh, I'm being confronted with how self-centered I really live my life. And it's not because you, it's not, it's always the right time to be confronted by God. Let's, let's put it that way. It's never too late. And it's never too early. It's the right time. And so Mm. we have to have a mindset in our relationship with God where we are allowing him to deconstruct and disorder things so that things can be reordered and reprioritized in our life. And that often, most often, is really noticeable in our relationships. So Mm. the miracle moment is about this idea that we set up that Jesus is a teacher he is a life teacher and his classroom is your life. Like where you are right now is the classroom with which Jesus wants to teach you what it looks like to follow him. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be confronted with all of these ways that God is teaching us about ourselves and about other people, knowing that our primary calling in this world is to love. So there's a lot more about how to do that, but I think for the for today for John 5 for being confronted with the story of Jesus really asking us do you want to get well i think recognizing getting well for whoever's listening is going to look like some things are going to be deconstructed some things are going to have to get undone it's going to feel messy it's going to feel like when you take your closet and you put everything from your closet <laughs> out into your bedroom and you're like how did this all even fit in there it's very uncomfortable And if we can get comfortable with being a little bit uncomfortable, that's actually the place where new things can grow. I feel like in many ways, you just described 
the season that I've been in this whole, Mm. this whole chaos before order and, and being curious and not condemning. Mm -hmm. Um, I think those are just, first of all, those are very kind things to speak to our soul, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. to not beat ourselves up about disruptions in our life and changes and God revealing things to us, but to stay Mm -hmm. curious, to ask questions, to know that God is loving and that he is inviting us into a process because he, like you said, the classroom of our life, he wants us to become more like him and he's going to do whatever he can to bring us to that place. Mm -hmm. Um, the chaos piece though, gall, (laughs) could we just all admit how terrible that is? It's just, it feels like when things get just like thrown up in your Mm -hmm. life, you're like, what is happening? Mm -hmm. And yet knowing that God is not a God of chaos, he is Mm -hmm. a God of order. He will bring things back into that place of settled and ordered. And yeah, so I, I I love both of those curious, not condemning chaos before order. Um, And another thing that you say in your book is being collaborative and not competitive. Yeah. And I think that's another beautiful way to just say, you know what we are, we should be with and for people and not against and competing against them, which also, mm-hmm. I think when we start to get competitive with other people that causes chaos in our lives as well. Well, yeah. And I mean, if, if anyone's like, oh yeah, no, of course I'm totally collaborative. I would say, I know, but like when you have an argument, do you want to win? Cause that's what it really like when you think you're right, do you really need to make sure that everyone knows that you were right? Cause those are good examples of what I mean. We're all competitive in that way. Um, you might not think of yourself as a competitive person, but when right. it comes to the way that we love others, we do want to find like, what is our, what is our common ground? Like, what do we want both want, you know, out of this and how yeah. can we parent and love and be in our marriages, in our friendships, in our work relationships from that place rather than from that place of like, I just, I need to be right. And I need you to do what I need you to do. We all do that, but um, it's a deeper place to go and a a richer place and a more fulfilling place in life to move to that collaborative spirit. It's true. And everything in me wants to say, yeah, but what happens when I'm right? (laughs) We're not going to go there. I am right. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. I'll collaborate with you, but just so you know, I'm right. (laughs) Um, you know, actually, I want to bring up one other thing about your book that I just really appreciate it because I don't see a lot of this type of books that's dealing with hard relationships moving through. It's not, not even that the relationship is hard necessarily, but hard conversations, mm-hmm. hard moments, pressing into those so that you can get to the other side and experience these miracle moments and have this kind of transformation and healing in your relationships. And one of the things that you bring up is, so what about when you've tried everything and it doesn't work? Yeah. And I was really happy to read that Mm -hmm. whole chapter um, because I thought sometimes I think that's missing. And there's a lot of times in our relationships where we really are doing all that we can, Mm -hmm. and it just is not fixable. And you quote this amazing quote about living in a fog. Mm -hmm. Um, And how, when we are in a relationship like that, it feels like we just live in this fog Mm -hmm. and it makes it hard to separate, leave or hold healthy boundaries. So I would love just for you to give one Mm -hmm. way that you can start moving toward clarity. If, If you have a relationship that you think it feels like that, you just are like, I don't know what it is. 
and it's an important relationship in your life. This is a this may seem like a counterintuitive um, piece of advice, but try to find some help. Be in a healthy relationship somewhere in your life. One of the things that's great, and some of us don't even know what a healthy relationship is, and that's like a starting point is like exploring that idea. But if you do have a healthy relationship in your life, mm-hmm. you can start asking yourself. Let's just call someone healthy, Jody. Let's say you've got a healthy relationship with your husband Bobby. I don't know. I can't remember your husband's name. Um, your brother. Your brother <laughs> his, Bobby. His name's Tim. Tim. Okay, <laughs> Tim, and you are healthy. And you you have ways of having healthy conflict, and then you have this other relationship. One of the ways that we start to realize and, and begin to come out of a fog is to recognize, wait a second, if I was having this conversation with my healthy relationship, how would it go? Because mm. a, what, what tends to happen in dysfunction is that it's contagious. Dysfunction is contagious. And so we end up acting differently than we normally would in certain relationships. But if you do have something to compare it to, so like pursuing a healthy friendship relationship, some kind of healthy relationship then gives you kind of a litmus test for you to be able to stay healthy and to, to have regular boundaries with someone who perhaps likes to bust boundaries, who doesn't believe in boundaries, whatever, you start to find your own way in it. Mm-hmm. And you begin to notice uh, things that maybe are unhealthy, dysfunctional, toxic within that relationship that are very hard to notice if that is your primary relationship and the only one that you're really doing yeah. emotional work with. So I don't know if that's helpful or not, but that's the easiest, quickest thing I could say about that whole piece. There's more in the book about it. So, Yeah, no, I think that's an amazing uh, way to look at it because I think when you start to examine the healthy against the unhealthy, it makes the unhealthy even more clear how unhealthy it is. And what you're doing that's unhealthy in it. That's what really Absolutely. That's right. And how you need to stop doing some things and and act like you do in your healthy relationship or expect things that you expect in the healthy relationship. So that's great advice. Well, Nicole, I'm super sad that we are running out of time. So just tell everyone, where can they find you? Where can they grab the book? I know there's also a Bible study that goes with it. So just- yeah, well, this download. is, you know, 2022 is the year of the podcast. So I have a healthy relationships podcast called Let's Be Real that is on all your podcast places and also on YouTube. So you can come over to my website if you want, NicoleUnis.com or follow me on socials and you will find everything that you need. I've got a Bible podcast and a healthy relationships podcast. So you can hang out with me twice a week if you want. So there you go. <laughs> well, I, I want to hang out with you twice a week. That sounds perfect. Okay. Awesome. I will link everything in the show notes. And Thank so you. thanks so much for being with us, Nicole. It truly was a great conversation and I enjoyed every minute. Thank you, Jody. Well, I also just want to thank you for joining me and Nicole on so much more because we really do believe Jesus has so much more to say to us and we are creating space to listen. Do you ever hear sayings make their way through the culture and the church that seem nice in theory, but are actually theologically problematic? My name is Shara Donahue, and I'm the host of The Bible Never Said That, a podcast where we examine these popular sayings under the lens of biblical truth. We cover sayings like, God won't give you more than you can handle, time heals all wounds, and follow your heart. We also spend time exploring how people use Bible verses out of context. If you want to grow in discernment and truth, join us and subscribe at lifeaudio.com.